Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Fairy Conclave. My name is Jerem. My pronouns are he, him. And today I have the wonderful opportunity to interview Alec and talk about one of his commander decks. So, Alec, this will be a great episode. I'm excited to be back for this. Hello. Hi. Um, my name is Alec. I My pronouns are he, him. And um, normally I'm on the other end of the intro recording um, me saying hello and welcome, but I am excited to hear your voice, Jerem. How are you doing? It is so good to be back. I sincerely miss recording podcasts, but I am also very happy to be in full-on dad mode at the moment. So, But I was able to steal some time tonight to get online and talk about some magic. So it's going to be a stellar episode. I'm excited to, to dive into the deck you've prepared for us. Yeah, yeah, me too. Also, for those who maybe started listening to the Fairy Conclave recently who might not know, Jerem is my old co-host who the two of us started the Fairy Conclave together. Yeah, and then Jerem had a baby like not too long ago. And seven months, seven months. Seven yep. months. Wow. Okay, that's awesome. Um, yeah, and so you kind of switched over. You switched your um, your side job from recording podcasts to taking care of a human being. And how has that been going? It has been going great. She's a little bundle of joy. It's been a ton of fun. I I still try and find time for magic. Um, she is my new my new source of magic in my life. You know, uh-huh. I, I love to also include some some paper magic. You know, in games when I can squeeze it in. You know, but I will always be a, a huge fan of the Fairy Conclave. It's just such a so near and dear to my heart. I'll never forget that that nu- it was around Christmas, I think, 2018, when HB was like. You guys, you guys should do a podcast. And we looked at each other like, yeah, whatever. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> Here we are, like in 2022. Holy cow! Yeah, I, I, was... I can't, I can't believe it. Um, and I'm glad that we're still here. You, you and I, and doing an episode. Um, yeah, it's really cool. Just like old times. Just like old times. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah, and so I had this idea. Uh, one of my specialties on the Fairy Conclave is to bring out people who have like cool viewpoints in the magic community who I want to talk to. Uh, My excuse to talk to them is to do a commander deck interview where I interview them about one of their favorite commander decks. And uh, really it's just an excuse for me to hang out with cool people who play magic. But um, yeah, so we do a lot of episodes where I talk about someone's commander deck and we go through a bunch of questions about the deck and, and just kind of talk about it. And I realized Probably uh, since the last time I talked about one of my own decks on the podcast, I've I've built a whole bunch of decks um, and probably made like 40 episodes or something of this podcast. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I reached out to Jeremy. I was like, would you want to do an episode where you are the interviewer and I can talk about one of my decks? And I was very excited for you to um, agree to do that. So thank you very much. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm really excited. I mean, you put so much time and effort into this wonderful podcast. I think it's, it's time for us to really, to see your side, your perspective, you know, you're, uh, you've become very close with it. You know, I think it's, uh, it's only fair that we dive into one of yours. So I'm, I'm really stoked. Thank you. Yeah. I'm, I'm super stoked as well. And before we get into it, Jaron, would you like to do our community spotlight for the episode today? Yeah, absolutely. So the community spotlight I'd like to mention today is the Epic Storm on YouTube. So Brian on the Epic Storm does a ton of MTGO content. It's a really chill environment. I've found myself really enjoying a lot of uh, popper content and modern content. I, I am at heart a true commander player. I don't think that will ever change. But I think sometimes when I just need a, a change of pace, I really enjoy going on there and watching some of the cool uh, decks. Definitely one of the specialties that uh, he likes to showcase on that channel is storm-based decks. I guess that's definitely where the name comes from, the Epic Storm. Mm-hmm. And it's really fun to see how, you know, powerful uh, popper deck can be and, you know, a bunch of, you know, really fun storm-based modern decks. So it's a really fun environment, and he does a really good job of explaining the cards and what he's doing and why he built it, and he does a little deck introduction before each one. So if you haven't watched any content of the Epic Storm, I definitely suggest going to check it out because it's a it's a really good uh um channel to follow on youtube and i i've enjoyed their content through and through so 
yeah check them out awesome yeah i will have links to the epic storms um, content on youtube in the episode description so definitely check it out and this one was new to me so thank you for introducing me jerem i'm excited yeah. to i already uh sub- subscribed on youtube and i'm excited to go watch some videos so yeah thank you yeah. so much awesome okay well let's dive into it now the, t- the time has come alec are you ready I think so. It's very funny. Uh-huh. I am used to trying to figure out the transitions and segues and uh, uh-huh. how to get into the questions, but now I kind of just I just hang back and and um, and just talk. So yeah, you just <laughs> sit back in your chair. You have your whole deck out strewn on the kitchen table in front of you, and let's I just do. let's just dive into it. <laughs> so question number one: Why don't you introduce who your commander is and the inspiration to build this deck? Yeah, for sure. So the commander that we're going to be talking about today is Satoru Umezawa, which is a, a relatively recent new legendary creature. It's from the Kamigawa Neon Dynasty set. It kind of it feels like along a lot of sets ago, um, which it kind of was, but it did come out in um, 2022. So not too long ago, earlier this year. And I've just been playing this deck a ton. I've been enjoying it so much. And uh, I'm excited to talk about it because I think, and, and this is something I, I have a lot of decks and my favorite deck changes quite often, um, or at least it did. But ever since I built this deck, it's just kind of been my favorite. And every time I play it, I, I have a blast. So I'm excited to talk about it. Yeah. And the inspiration, I honestly, when Satoru was like previewed, I thought it was a cool card, but I wasn't immediately drawn to it. I wasn't like, I need to build a deck around this ASAP, Um, which is, I feel like that's usually what happens. I'll see a a preview for a new card and I'll just immediately need to build something. Um, But it wasn't until like after the set released and maybe a few weeks later that I realized Satoru would be an awesome commander for a demon's deck, which is something that I have kind of been trying to make work for uh, at least five or six years now um i've always wanted to play like a full-on demons deck in commander but the problem is demons have they tend to be either six or more mana and um there isn't really a commander that like ties them together too much there are a couple like raptos uh commanders that have like a light demon kind of synergy but there wasn't one that really caught my eye that I wanted to play just like a ton of demons in until I saw this deck and or this commander and realized that Satoru effectively reduces the cost of big creatures. Um, a lot of people are using it for like Eldrazi and stuff, but I thought, let's try it with demons and I'll just throw a bunch of demons in there and see what happens. And I've just been like hooked ever since then. That's glorious. And looking at the art of Satoru Umazama, it looks like there's like a bunch of like spirits like kind of looming around. It almost looks like, I mean, yeah. they're probably spirits, you know, knowing coming out, but it's like it, they're, those are his inner demons tormenting. I mean, you're just like <laughs> letting them loose. I don't know what the flavor is exactly there, but I think that's a uh, being able to combine this deck with like a, a theme of demons is just, I think it's so unique and really adds for like, it's just such a, it seems like such a fun play play style that never gets old. You know, I think this is, this is pretty sweet. So why don't you read yeah. uh, Satoru Umezawa's ability for those who may not be familiar with it? Oh, yes, of course. I I got so excited. I forgot to do that. So yeah, Satoru Umezawa is one, a blue and a black for two, four legendary human ninja. And it says, whenever you activate a ninjutsu ability, look at the top three cards of your library, put one of them into your hand and the rest on the bottom of your library in any order. This ability triggers only once each turn, um, which, you know, it's like some card selection, but the spicy yeah, yeah. part is uh, the second ability, which is each creature card in your hand has ninjutsu for two, a blue and a black. So, uh, you know, I think when this came out, people thought it would be a ninjas commander for like ninja decks. And I know a yeah. lot of people build that, which is fine. I think that's fun too, but Satoru doesn't really need other ninjas because it gives everything ninjutsu on its own. And of course, I have a couple other ninjas that I think fit well in the deck. But yeah, I think the main thing is that the ninjutsu ability allows you to kind of cheat on mana costs quite a bit. So basically, any creature you can play for four mana, 
Um, and I should explain ninjutsu a little bit because it, do it doesn't really on the card. There's not enough room for it. Ninjutsu means uh, you may return an unblocked attacking creature you control back to your hand. If you pay the ninjutsu cost, you like trade places with the card you paid the ninjutsu cost for. So any creature in your hand while Satoru is out has ninjutsu for four mana. Um, so for four mana, you can like play a creature out uh, with, you know, with some um, small requirements, <laughs> some small hoops you have to jump through to get there. But um, yeah. That's awesome. I think like you were mentioning earlier, like demons, I think are just renowned for having super high mana costs, but they're just super big impactful creatures that once they come on the battlefield, you know, they demand a powerful presence. And I think yeah. this is a really perfect, unique way to skirt that high mana cost that you were mentioning earlier. So it's really cool to see this be a, uh, a, a deck completely flavored on demons, you know, and I'm um, just yeah. glancing through it. You know, I'm excited to, to talk about some of the card choices you've made so far and, and specifically some of the demons you've chosen for this. And I guess right off the bat, is there a blue demon? So I... there is, uh, there's one that I have considered that I still uh -huh. have. Yeah, it's down. It's still in my considering section on Moxfield and it's silent blade Oni. So it actually has a lot of flavor, uh, overlap with Satoru. Um, uh -huh. And this is, so it's three blue, blue, black, black, so seven mana total for a six, five demon ninja. Um, and it has built-in ninjutsu for six mana, but that's not super relevant for this deck. And then it says, whenever Silent Blade Oni deals combat damage to a player, look at that player's hand. You may cast an online card in it without paying that card's mana cost. It's it's a demon and also a ninja, so it fits in really nicely, and it's, yeah. it's blue and black. Um, the only thing is, I'm not a big fan of that ability i i love cards that steal opponents cards like off the top of their deck um but right. i just something about when they've already like done the work to draw it and it's in their hand i don't really like to steal uh cards from people's hands especially like repeatedly i think that can um make people a little salty so uh there is a demon that i think it actually does fit very well flavor wise but like mechanically i'm not a hundred percent sure if i want to play it but you know it's still in my considering board right. in case i ever want to try it that is cool i think that is i it's so interesting to see blue as a demon you know i i think yeah that's, you know yeah as far as definitely i know flavorful, but for sure you know yeah as far as i know um demons are probably like 98 percent in just black and then a little blue and a little red um, I, I think that is changing with the Warhammer 40k deck that has a ton of demons <laughs> yeah. in it, but, right. um, at least in like, uh, in universe magic stuff. Yeah, definitely mostly black, uh, right. for demons. Yeah. So while we, I guess we kind of jumped ahead of ourselves a little there talking about like blue demons and I guess a sideboard question mark consideration, <laughs> I don't know, you know, but, um, so maybe, uh, the Oni was in this deck and his take coming out a little before so i don't know what let's talk about the deck's history you know has it gone through a lot yeah. of changes when you when you built this deck was it just like oh boom these cards are what's in there or did was it kind of a a process as you slowly refined over time yeah so the cool thing about this deck is it was just really easy for me to put together um, so it hasn't gone through a ton of big changes, which I think a lot of my decks, I, I reevaluate every once in a while and I'll like make pretty, make pretty like sweeping changes to them just because it's, you know, it's commander. There's a lot of variance and it's hard to get your deck to do exactly what you're trying to get it to do. Um, which is why this deck was so refreshing. It just like my first draft of it just like worked pretty well. And of course I needed some changes, but like right off the bat, it just kind of did exactly what I was hoping it would do. So yeah, for, for this deck, it just kind of felt good, um, from the get go, but to get into a little bit of some of the changes, uh, I need to talk about kind of the, the way Satoru works. So in order to get the, uh, reduction in mana cost. So in order to like pay for mana to play a demon, you have to have an unblocked attacking creature. And uh. that is might actually be harder than, than you'd expect. Um, if each other player has a couple creatures out, you can't really just expect to like swing your little creatures in and have them uh, be unblocked. So 
a lot of this deck, a huge portion of this deck is small creatures that are cheap, like mana wise, that are either unblockable or have some kind of evasive ability. Um, and when I first built the deck, I had no min- like I had no idea how many of those to put in the deck. Um, and then the other side of that is, so you want to have a few small creatures that are unblockable out, um, but you can't just be attacking with those. You also need to have big demons in your hand or else you like don't have the payoff. So it's, it's a true, like you need part A and part B and you need both of them at the same time in order to get to the profit, I guess. <laughs> and <laughs> yes. Um, and yeah, I, I had no idea when I first built it, like what those ratios would be. Um, and so at first I had, I actually had not enough. You might think I put too many demons in it, um, but I had not enough at first. I think I put like 10 or 12 in and there were a lot of games where I would have a whole bunch of little unblockable creatures and then just no payoff for them. Um, and so yeah, kind of adjusting those two ratios has been the big part of this deck's history. Currently I've landed on, uh, I have 18 demons in the deck um but 17 of them are cards that i would consider like i'm i want to play for four mana um one of them is varagoth which is only three on its own so that one doesn't really count but yeah so 17 big creatures to cheat in and then i have 21 cards that either make or are like cheap unblockable or hard to block creatures and so far recently like i'm always looking at those numbers to make sure they are functional. Um, but lately in the last like five or six games I played, they've been like spot on. So I'm pretty happy with where it's at. Um, but yeah, I think that's the main thing that this deck has gone through is I've adjusted those ratios quite a bit. Um, yeah, I know that yeah. can be a, quite a, a difficult process. I used to have a Yuriko deck that was all about, you know, ninjutsuing Yuriko in and then you mm. flip a big thing off the top where, yeah. and I, I remember struggling to, strike a similar balance where you don't want too many small unblockable creatures because you want to hit, you know, heavy hitters off the top of your library. So, uh, you know, I, I, I think the best way to, to accommodate that is just like you said, you just need to play test it and just keep refining and then finding what feels good. And it seems like you've hit just the perfect stride with this deck, you know, just playing it and being, Oh, I needed more demons there, you know? And I think it's a, I love decks that require you to play it to, you know, master them. You know, it's not just straightforward as you'd think. So I think that's really good consider a really good consideration for sure. Totally. Yeah. And I think the, the cool thing about it was, is it is a pretty straightforward game plan. Like you just play a small creature attack with it and then pay four mana to get a bigger creature. Um, And so that kind of made it easy for me to, change the deck over time like i know a lot of times i'll be playing a deck it just isn't quite working but you might not be able to like figure out why like what's wrong with it um it's hard to diagnose what's going on when it's not working but for this deck it was literally like oh i'm missing like i'm playing the game and i've run out like somebody board wiped and i don't have enough small unblockable creatures out and so you know the the way to fix that is to add more small unblockable creatures and maybe a little card draw to get them um, so yeah, it was kind of easy like in game to be like, mm, this went wrong and I, but I already know how to fix it, which, um, it did right. make things a lot easier for me. So yeah. Awesome. Um, yeah. And then the, the one other thing I'll say as far as changes go, uh, one thing, and this is for any other Satoru players out there, if you're listening to this or if you want to build one, the EDH rec page, I actually haven't checked it in a while, but when I was looking at it, uh, back when I like was first working on this deck. There are a ton of options for small unblockable creatures, and um, I think some of them that are that are played like on EDH rec maybe aren't the best options. Um, and so I put kind of a couple like restrictions on myself to make sure I was getting the creatures I wanted. And one of the big reasons for that is every time you ninjutsu a demon out, you have to bounce that creature back to your hand which means you need to recast it at some point. And I had a lot of creatures in here that like had unblockable uh, or something similar that were three or more mana. And those were just really hard to uh, like cast for three and then bounce back to my hand to get a demon for four. And then the next turn I'd like cast it again for three and Oof, but yeah. not have enough mana to like do anything else. And it was kind of clunky. 
So a restriction I put on the deck is I didn't want any of my unblockable creatures to be more than two mana. So if you look at that section, they're all two or less, except for one. I just couldn't resist. Kaito Shizuki is a Planeswalker. Oh, you have and, to. And I, I give this one a pass just because it does uh, it does other stuff as well. It has a card draw ability. Um but so it makes it's three mana and the minus two ability is create a one one blue ninja token that says this creature can't be blocked. So technically it's a three mana like unblockable, but it also has some other stuff. It does a card draw. And then the ultimate is uh, you get an emblem that says whenever a creature you control deals combat damage to a player, search your library for a blue or black creature card, put it onto the battlefield, then shuffle. So if you ever get there, Whoa. it's just like. I'm already attacking with unblockables anyway, so that's going to get a ton of demons. Um, so that one gets a pass at three mana, but all of the other ones are two or less, and I would recommend that as well, especially the one mana ones. It's real easy to just keep playing your one mana, like Tormented Soul, over and over again for um, for Ninjutsu. Yeah, I mean, especially like, like Ornithopter or something. Like, yeah, it's just, mm-hmm. it's easy. The, in the end, you know, you don't want to, if you're paying seven mana and ninjutsu you know four mana and ninjutsu something out and then three to recast something you think about it it's like you could have just paid seven for the demon like right really exactly. but you know like the total investment you know to get back to where you were yeah that's the thing you don't want to be doing all this work and jumping through all these hoops like it might feel cool but then in the end if you're like if you could have just hard cast it um then it defeats the purpose so yeah that's that's right. something i learned um and i did have a bunch of three mana creatures for this purpose that i took out um and and one thing i will say since we're on the topic of the like evasive creatures uh the ones that have haste are uh, probably 10 times more valuable than the ones that don't so like ginger brute has got to be one of the best um one of the best ones i would say (laughs) one of my personal favorites you have here nether trader and yeah I yeah. think the reason that one's so good is that it can it can come back from the graveyard. You mentioned earlier, like if someone board wipes and wipes all of your small creatures before you can ninjutsu anything, this one has built-in recursion, which I think is really totally. useful. Um, you know, kind of trying to skirt the rampant removal that is often so prevalent <laughs> in Commander. It's so. true. Yeah. And yeah, another trader is awesome. It's a, a one-one spirit with haste and shadow, and then yeah, like a recursion ability. And then one of my favorites, which I kind of love because I liked playing this card a lot back in Cons of Tarku Limited, it's Gurmog Swiftwing. It's just a two mana, one, two bat with flying, first strike, and haste. And flying isn't always the most reliable evasive ability, but I find that there's usually one person without a flyer, at least. So I'm fine with not having it be like totally unblockable because it has haste. And the reason for me liking haste so much is I find a lot of situations where if I have like a few demons in my hand, um, it really feels bad to like have to bounce your like one evasive creature back and then next turn you play it, but it has summoning sickness and then you have to wait a whole nother turn before you can play another demon. But with haste, you can just immediately like two mana cast it, four mana bounce it back and that can be really nice sometimes. So yeah, no, I, I think that's awesome. Yeah. And yeah, just looking at this whole suite, I think, you know, there's so much value, like just being able to recast a fairy seer after you bounce it, being able to scry mm-hmm. too. Like, I think there's just, there's a lot of really fun tricks that can be done to make it worth your while. You know, you, you have totally. to repay the one, but you know, being able to pay one to scry to every turn is, uh, that's pretty good value. For sure. Yeah. And I think this is honestly a pretty flexible deck. Like if you took my deck list, you could make it your own and switch out the evasive creatures to be kind of like whatever you want them to be. Cause there are a ton of options out there and it would be still super functional and work really well. So yeah, these are the ones I've kind of settled on right now, but um, this is always something that I'm looking at. Like if one evasive creature isn't quite working, I'm, you know, there are lots of options to switch to. Yeah. It's a good flex spot to have for sure. Exactly. Yeah. So Moving on to the next question, what would you say you like most about playing this deck? Mm. We kind of talked about how straightforward this deck's game plan is. That um, that appeals to me as what I call a end of the night type of deck, where <laughs> um, usually I'll have had like a hard seltzer or two, 
uh, over the course of a couple games playing like I, I don't know what it is about my sagas deck but just keeping track of 10 sagas at once is quite taxing on my brain and yeah. I love it but it takes a lot of brain power so this is the this is like my favorite deck. Um, Sator is my favorite deck to pull out as uh, uh, I just play small creatures and then they make big demons and that's kind of all it is. Um, and big demons do cool things. So uh, yes. I think that's honestly, yes, they do. <laughs> that's honestly my favorite thing about this deck is um, I've been collecting lots of demon cards over the years and never really like I can put one or two in a deck here and there if it needs it. Uh, like I probably play Harvester of Souls in more decks than I should. It, it's a card draw demon, but uh, this deck it just feels cool to be be able to put a whole bunch of demons in one deck and have it work really well. So that's honestly yeah. what I like the most is it's an opportunity for me to play a bunch of my favorite creatures and still have it be pretty powerful. Like this deck definitely packs a punch. Yeah, I love that the analogy of the end of the night deck. Like it's a pretty straightforward easy to pilot but packs a punch you know i think that it's always nice to whenever you go to a game night with friends to have you know like the 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 saga deck where you really rack your brain and then the end of the night deck where it's just yep. like you know what we're just gonna bring out some big stompy boys and you know do demonic things <laughs> definitely yeah and you know some of the demons have really cool effects that i am obsessed with like Lord of the Void is a card that Ooh, I'm just, yes. oh, I'm always excited to play it. This is four black, black, black for a seven, seven flying demon. It says whenever Lord of the Void deals combat damage to a player, exile the top seven cards of that player's library, then put a creature card from among them onto the battlefield under your control. Um, and so the cool thing about that, like that's a pretty cool effect, but uh, it's not great in commander usually unless you have a way to give it haste but uh just because people can see it coming but the cool right. thing about ninjutsu is that it's coming out of nowhere they're not going to see it coming yep. so <laughs> out of yeah. the void out of the darkness yeah exactly so yeah in a way ninjutsu kind of gives it haste because it comes into the battlefield attacking and it's already unblocked so lord of the void as long as they don't kill it like at instant speed it will deal the combat damage um, the turn it comes out and then you'll, you'll get that effect like at least once, uh, which I just think is really cool. I'm a fan of that. Like you said, you don't want to steal cards from people's hands, but I'll, I'll take something off the top seven of your library. Sure. Right. 100%. You haven't drawn those yet. Free game. <laughs> yeah. And I find that people kind of love when that happens. Cause they're like, they're like, yeah, check out the, the top seven cards of my deck. Like, let's see what happens. And then you get something cool and they're like, Oh yeah. There's something about yeah. that. That's yeah. People. Um, I think respond well to you, which I always think is a fun time. Again, I think it's this is a perfect example of a card that really showcases a mini game within the game. You know, it's totally you know, yeah. Spin the wheel. Let's look at the top seven. You know, yeah, and it's it's fun to try to decide like which opponent you pick, um, be, and you're trying to like think of which players' decks have the coolest creatures to steal. Um, yeah, that's that's one of the demons that I love the most in this deck, and. Um, and they're just a bunch of cool demons with cool effects. A lot of them are kind of like attack or combat damage triggers, which work really well with this deck. So yeah, it all kind of comes together really nicely. What would so moving on to the next question? What would you say are the overarching goals of this deck? I mean, mm. aside from like winning, like yeah, but like what would you say is your is there an ulterior win condition, or what would you say is the overall goal? <laughs> yes. So the main goal of this deck is to just simply get big demons out and then uh, either like use their effects to gain value um, or just attack with them because demons tend to fly most of the time and a lot of them have trample and other abilities as well. So yeah, mainly I'll probably win by just attacking with big demons, which I'm always a fan of. And that's kind of the main goal of the deck is to cheat out demons like earlier than people would like them to be out so that's kind of the the main goal of the deck but um, a side goal an alternate win condition I have in this deck is Liliana's contract uh, I think you you probably know Jerem this is a card I've been kind of oh. forcing in commander for quite some time in other decks too uh, but yeah this one is three black black for an enchantment and it says when Liliana's contract enters the battlefield you draw four cards and lose four life 
And then at the beginning of your upkeep, if you control four or more demons with different names, you win the game. That card is amazing. Have you ever assembled the ultimate win with it where mm. you had all four of the demons that Liliana was contracted <laughs> to? And that those were the four demons with different names. Uh, <laughs> Silveran, Kothafed, uh, Bells and Lock, and there's one more. Um, Razaketh. Yeah. Razaketh, yeah. Yep. So, so that's kind of the, uh, like the day that happens, I'm going to like sign and date my Liliana's contract. <laughs> yes. <laughs> because yeah, that, so that's kind of, that's exactly it. That's the like top tier goal for this deck is to have the most epic flavor win Liliana's contract with Liliana's four demons. Mm-hmm. And some of you out there might be confused because uh, unfortunately one of Liliana's demons is banned in commander. Uh, and that is Grizzlebrand. Rightfully so. Uh, Grizzlebrand is four black, 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 black. So eight mana total for a 7-7. Seven, seven. Legendary demon with flying and lifelink that says pay seven life, colon, draw seven cards. Pretty easy to see why that is not legal in Commander because we have very high life totals. <laughs> so uh, just paying most of your life into that and drawing a whole bunch of cards is... Uh, it turns out that's a pretty good ability. Yeah. So the thing is... My in-person playgroup, um, and I, I also have a couple other friends who I play with online who are okay with this. Uh, they they are okay with me playing Grizzlebrand in this deck. So I get the joy of like having the possibility of getting all four demons out. Yes. Uh, but, you know, it's with the caveat that Grizzlebrand is clearly extremely powerful. And I haven't been able to keep Grizzlebrand on board, um, which I'm totally fine with, like, it's a banned card, so you should probably kill it if you can. But uh, yeah, it's it's just a, a rule zero conversation. I if I were playing like on on stream uh, or something like that, or with people I haven't played with before, I would not play Grizzlebrand in the deck. I actually have a card uh, that I switch it out for for times like that. But with my my uh, friends who I've played with before and who I've gotten the okay from, I play Grizzlebrand in this deck, and let me tell you, it is a lot of fun. Um, oh, is the, is that the is your extra card option the mask of Gristlebrand in your it is. sideboard? <laughs> yep, yeah. So so when no, when somebody uh, yeah when I, when I don't know the group but I still want to play this deck, I switch Gristlebrand out for the mask of Gristlebrand, mostly for the flavor. I think that probably should just be a random demon or something, but it's hard to resist that um, that flavor there. Uh, yeah, and so I guess just to kind of specify. The way I think the the easiest way to get the Liliana's contract with those four demons specifically is to somehow get Razaketh out as the first demon. Um, Razaketh is the eight mana eight eight flying trampler that says pay two life, sack a creature, search your library for a card, and put it into your hand. So that way you can kind of sacrifice your small uh, like evasive creatures and tutor out the other three. Uh, Liliana's yeah. demons and then get those out I think that's the easiest way to do it but we'll see it has not happened yet because you know Razaketh is kind of similar to Grizzlebrand as soon as it hits the board all three players immediately start working it, yeah. together yeah <laughs> well the day you do that will be a momentous day and I, yeah. I love the your plan to, to sign a date your Liliana's contract that yeah that is just yes I cannot wait for the day that sounds really cool Thank you. Yeah, I will definitely let the world know when that event happens. <laughs> Switching gears to a more, uh, maybe a tough question to talk about. Mm. What would you say this deck's weaknesses are? Yeah, something that I actually am okay with is this deck having a pretty big weakness. And that is that basically for all of this to work, everything that we've been talking about, I have to have Satoru on the battlefield. Um, and right. so more so than I think I would be comfortable with in most of my decks, this is a very like commander centric depends on the commander uh, being out type of deck. If Satoru has been killed a few times and is too expensive, it's very clunky because I'll have a handful of, uh, I don't even know, just one mana can't be blocked <laughs> right. and yeah. eight mana like Villas demons that I can't cast yet. So yeah, it can get kind of awkward sometimes. But I think that's honestly fine with me. Satoru feels very strong. It's three mana, so I can usually get it out on turn two or three. 
Um, and then immediately like four mana to start getting demons out. Um, since by then I'll, I'll probably have a couple evasive creatures and it, it just feels really fast. So if my opponents are able to yeah. kill Satoru, I'm like totally fine with that. I think that having that weakness is actually important because it makes it not, um, it makes the deck not as scary. And I honestly, like I like playing this deck at the power level it's currently at. And I will say I have uh, a couple, I have a few cards in here that are meant for protection for Satoru specifically. Mm-hmm. And those are Swiftfoot Boots and Neurox Stealth Suit offer like some protection. But that's it. I think I, I do have a couple counter spells in here um, that I might use to protect Satoru. And so I do have cards in the deck that help kind of like cover that weakness but i'm okay with like letting that weakness be kind of telegraphed because uh yeah i don't want to just be flooding the board with demons and with no way to stop them all the time sometimes it's kind of fun uh but most of the time i like to see some some interaction so yeah that's what i would say is the biggest weakness is if satori gets killed then everything kind of falls apart yeah and this is i think an important conversation actually that i think more I think I think honestly I've I've found that newer magic players benefit benefit from it the most and that's and that's the conversation about how the best decks don't need to be winning all the time if that makes sense. I think right. I think and then I especially when I was new to magic I got really caught up in, you know, having the most optimized deck to have the best cards so I could get out there and you know win as fast as possible, which some people that's their playstyle and that's okay. You know, but I think especially in a four player game, I think, you know, sometimes it's okay to to lose, you know, it's okay to to not yeah. be in first place the whole time. And I think it really it's really a more fun and riveting game when, you know, the, the tides of the battle change, you know, it sways back and forth. You're ahead with your demons, but your demons are removed. You lose your commander. You know, how are you going to put it back together? I think that's it's yeah. part of the puzzle. It's part of the fun to really have that challenge so i think sometimes when i have people ask me oh like what is my deck missing like it's not good enough and i'm like you know what i i think your deck's actually okay i think it's just it's okay not to have the the golden bullet every every game i think that's a really good uh conversation to have with uh again with especially new new commander players so yeah i'm I'm honestly i'm glad you dug into that a little bit more jerem i agree i think that's I, it has taken me many years of playing commander to figure out the power level that I want my decks to be at and kind of like how how fast I want them to be and how like vulnerable I want them to be and it's hard to resist like when a deck is your favorite deck you want to be taking out the cards that aren't as good and like upgrading them to uh, to cards that are slightly better and like upgrading is always kind of the thing you're wanting to do but the thing about this deck is uh, like I could upgrade it by adding more protection, more intense counter spells, um, and things like that. But just from my experience of where I like my my decks to be at, this is the you know this is the amount of protection. Like there's some in there in case uh, in case things work out perfectly and like I'm protected yeah. and everything's nice. Um, I like having that option, but I don't want that to happen every game. Just like what you were saying, in a four player format you should only be winning 25% of the time, which means it might feel bad, but it means you're losing the like pretty vast majority of the time. Right. So yeah, yeah, I think it's, it's good to be okay with that and to understand that even if you lost, it doesn't mean your deck is bad. Um, Your deck could function fantastically and you could still lose. So yeah, I'm glad you asked uh, a little bit more into that because that is something that I like for this deck right now, but it's definitely hard to kind of get that sweet spot for uh, for other decks. Yeah, and I think it's important to also follow up with that and say, if, you know, I, I have that conversation with someone, it's not because I think their deck is bad, and I'm just saying, oh, you just need to lighten up. You know, like, that's not the conversation. I think it's more of just, right. this is a game with multiple people, and not everyone wins. Not everyone can win, you know? And, yeah. Um, and so I think it's, it's, it's good to celebrate our opponent's victories and get them in the next game. Exactly, I yeah. I like that attitude. Okay, so this next question, let's talk about some notable cards that fill the mm. generic roles. You know, card draw, mana ramp, interaction. What would you say are some of the the big hitters in this list? 
So I love this question. I think it's a very silly question, but I love seeing the pe- the answers that people give on this one. One of my favorite things in building a new deck is to not be using the most like standard forms of like card draw and removal and stuff like that. And I think that's one of the reasons why I like this deck so much is I found a, a bunch of little like clever ways to get all of those things without using like read the bones for the 10th time. And so a couple I want to shout out for um, for card draw specifically. Um, let's talk about Thalicos Seer. Have you ever heard of this card before? I am actually familiar just because I use this in my Eurico deck. But mm. before that, I never. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Great yeah. card. Great. Let's let's. Yeah. Yeah. I love that you have the background on Eurico, too, because it does have a lot of similar uh, similar kind of pieces of the puzzle that go together. Thalicos here is blue blue for a one one uh, wizard with shadow. Shadow means it can block or be blocked only by creatures with shadow. So uh, unless I'm playing against you, Jerem, it probably will be unblockable most of the time. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, But this one also says, if Thalicos Seer leaves play, draw a card, which is really cool. So that works with Ninjutsu beautifully because every time you attack with Thalicos Seer, it's unblocked because of shadow. And then you ninjutsu in a demon and return Thalicos Seer to your hand. And when that happens, Thalicos Seer draws you a card. But before you draw the card, Satoru's first ability triggers. And I honestly, I, I will admit, I've forgotten about Satoru's first ability many times. I'm trying my best to remember, but the first ability is some card selection-y uh, card draw thing. Yeah, so you can look at cards, put one into your hand with Satoru, and then draw another card from Thalicos Seer leaving play. And you can basically do that like every turn as long as you have something to ninjutsu in. And it just becomes like a really nice little like card advantage engine. So yeah, that's a little one that I've really liked in this deck. Definitely. I think that's a perfect example of why you would want Thalicos here as opposed to something else. Like again, I didn't even think about its interaction with uh, Satoru's first ability, which again isn't like I think why you would build around this deck, it's more than ninjutsu ability. But when you couple the fact that you get a look at the top three, you know, one in your hand, one on the bottom, I think it's a really great way to, you know, you look at the top and you get to draw something. I think it's just, it's a really good way to, like you said, it's a good engine to churn through your deck and to get to those demons. And Right, exactly. Um, yeah, it helps a lot with the kind of like clunkiness of having a whole bunch of one mana creatures and a whole bunch of seven mana creatures. You can filter through them a little bit. Yeah, and I just kind of like sources of card draw. Like, even if Thalicos here only draws a couple cards, so it's, like, the same as a Sign in Blood or something, I still, like, it has the unblockable thing, and it helps with uh, ninjutsu, and um, it just works really well in this deck and makes it so that I can play things like that that are kind of weird that I would not play in other decks instead of just playing a regular old Knight's Whisper or something like that. And similarly, I really like Grazalax. <laughs> Ithil- Il- oh my god. Illithid Scholar. It's one blue blue for a 3-2 horror. And it says whenever a creature you control becomes blocked, you may return it to its owner's hand. And whenever one or more creatures you control do combat damage to a player, draw a card. This one's kind of a fun like mind game. Because mm, yeah. if I attack someone with a flyer and they block it, I can just like return it to my hand. Or, like, if I attack someone with a flyer and they don't block it, then they're like, oh, no, what demon am I going to get hit by? And I'm like, psych, I'm just going to draw a card off of this. Like, they never know really what to expect. So, yeah, I really like Grazalax for that as a little bit of uh, spicy card draw. Stop playing with your food, Alec. That's just just mean. Again, that's another prime example of the... The game within a game, like, is it just, is he going to draw a card? Is it going to be Razaketh? Yeah. Is it going to be, like, what's it going to be? You know, I think that's, that's just yeah. hilarious, honestly. <laughs> yeah. And I, I didn't actually talk about that too much, but um, people are terrified of the demons that are going to come out. Um, yeah. People are so scared. And it's kind of funny because I, I always play into that and kind of like pretend like I have some good stuff. And sometimes I, I literally will have only lands in my hand, uh, but I'm still going to make them make them sweat a little bit so yeah that's always a fun a little political thing i guess but i don't know if i really use it to my advantage it just kind of adds tension to the game what i would also say if i were to sit down with you having not knowing anything about your deck and you put out satoru umizawa i would have 
zero clue that it would be a demon deck. Yeah. You know, I, so it, unless someone's played with you before, like the you know, and the cat's not out of the bag. That's you know that first ninjutsu ability. It's like, <laughs> what's it gonna be? And you're like demons. And you're like, oh geez, they're all they're all gonna be demons now, aren't they? <laughs> yeah. You know? And and actually, so the thing about that is, I will usually. Um, if I'm playing with like new people who I have not played with before, I will during like the rule zero conversation, I will talk about how it uh, how it's a demons deck. And the reason for that is I've noticed a lot of people who played against Satoru have gotten like hit by Blightsteel Colossus or oh, um, right. Eldrazi Titans. Right. So when they see Satoru, they think they're going to be playing against uh, Annihilator triggers and stuff. And so I want to make sure that they understand that I'm not doing anything like that. But, you know, some of the demons, like, aren't super nice either. So I'll be like, it's demons, so the power level is stuck kind of at a certain point. But I'm, mm-hmm. it's not like, you know, it's not like attacking someone with Villas or Demon of Loathing isn't, it's not bad, right? It's still, like, pretty good. Right, but, right. Uh, yeah, they're not losing, like, that turn like they might with a Blightsteel or something. No, I, I think that's, that is definitely appropriate. Um, yeah. So I do have a question. I it's the card mm. resculpt as as an interaction piece. I want to get your thoughts on using that card as as removal and. So those are interesting. There are a few blue instants that exile creatures, and then resculpt randomly just also hits artifacts and replaces mm-hmm. it with a four four. Oh my gosh! It hits art. I didn't realize it hit artifacts too. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And it exiles it. Okay, this card's getting better the more I. Think oh about yeah. It. Yeah, so Resculpt, I, I would I would highly recommend. It's kind of weird because usually when I build a deck with black, the black cards are the removal spells. So yeah. something I've been noticing lately is I think blue has better removal spells than black does, or like targeted <laughs> removal. Baleful Mastery is close. It's one in a black and an opponent draws a card to exile a creature or planeswalker. But yeah, it's hard to resist just exiling an artifact or creature with Resculpt, so... Yeah, that's that's definitely in here. And one thing that I'm a fan of is instant speed removal spells. Yeah. That's why yeah. uh, Raven Form is not in here. It also exiles an artifact or creature, I think, but it's a sorcery speed. So, yeah, that one did not make the cut. But yeah, I'm I'm a I'm a fan of Resculpt. Should it exist in its current form in the color blue? I'm not entirely convinced, but you know it exists. So I'm I am playing it here. I'm a true believer now. I I think this I yeah I saw it and I was like yeah they get a four four it's you know I guess that's okay you know but it, it can hit artifacts and it exiles it I think I think the yeah. the downside is definitely worth what you're getting out of it so that's fair and and I will note that a four four is like a pretty it's a pretty big creature but the reason I'm okay with it in this deck is all of my evasive creatures either have flying or they have some other evasive ability and most demons have flying so like the ground creatures i'm very much like less worried about so if it made like a flying bird or something like that i probably would not play it just because of that but um since it's just a four four on the ground yeah i'm i'm fine doing that i think it's also this is a i think using this card in the right light can also be i'm going to exile this really scary thing on your side of the board but you get a four four like it kind of that's like, true. I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna slap your hand really hard, but then I'm gonna put a little bandaid on it. You know, it's just yeah. you're like, you know, so it 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 feels bad, but not too bad. You know, for them. Totally. So I think it's a good way to to be like, you can't have that, but you can have this instead. <laughs> so yeah, I'm I'm always a fan of cards like that. Like that's why I love Arcane Denial. I'm like I'm countering your yeah. spell, Teehee, but also you get to draw two cards in the next upkeep. So like, yeah, yeah it's all good, right? Yeah. <laughs> So the last one we we haven't mentioned just yet is is mana ramp. Is there mm. any unique mana ramp or you know ways to get up on mana that you use in in this deck, or was it just kind of yeah you know basic artifact sweep for these colors, or what would you say? Yeah, so uh, blue and black definitely are going to be relying on artifacts for a lot of uh, of ramp, and and here's one thing I will say is like a place to plant a flag this episode. I love mana ramp at three mana. Like give me all those weird mana rocks that have fun abilities that are three mana. I love those. Unfortunately, Satoru costs three. So I'm not really able to play those in this deck just because 
like most of the time I want to be casting Satoru on turn three and not a mana rock. So all of my mana ramp is two or less and eight of them are artifacts, kind of the generic ones. But there are two I'll point out as kind of spicier ones. Ornithopter of Paradise is really fun. Uh, it's two mana for a zero two Thopter with flying and you can tap it to add one mana of any color. That's really cool because if I need the mana, it gives that to me, but it also can be like an evasive creature that I can yeah, uh, totally. use for mana early and then like ninjutsu out um, later in the game. And then the other one is Silver Fur Master, which I honestly think might be not super worth it, but the flavor and like everything about it is just so cool and like fits with the stack really well that I that I can't like I can't take it out. Um, it's blue and a black for a 2-2 rat ninja uh, with ninjutsu for blue and a black itself. It also says ninjutsu abilities you activate cost one less to cast. And it says other ninja and rogue creatures you control get plus one plus one. None of that is super relevant except for the ninjutsu cost reduction. So yeah, it makes, yeah. yeah, which is, it can be significant um, making the ninjutsu ability three mana instead of four. Currently, I haven't had a game where I've ninjutsu two demons out in one turn for like six mana total, but that's kind of like the dream idea is that you get two in one turn. If you're only doing one per turn, like it's kind of nice to save a mana, but you know, that kind of functions similar to like a mind stone or something where it just adds a mana per turn, but the card is cool. So I will be playing it. I feel like you've always had a special place in your heart for rats and it's a rat ninja. So you just, <laughs> you, you gotta, it just, it just has to be there. You know, I think it just fits. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a big fan of rats and yeah. And there's like this dream scenario where you ninjutsu out a bunch of stuff in one turn that I'm always holding on to. So is there any other that you want to mention in the spot before we move on? Or were those some of the, the key ones? I think that's it. Yeah. The rest is a, like a lot of the removal is coming from the demons because a lot of them kill stuff. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much it. I'd say this is definitely my favorite question. And that is pet cards that you have thrown in here that you just can't resist playing even if they maybe don't fit perfectly or maybe they do but what so what what would you say your your sweep of pet cards are in this deck yeah my so my perfect example of this is sakashima's will which is a pet card of mine that i've been kind of playing probably when i shouldn't but it's always cool it's three and a blue for a sorcery and it says, choose one. If you control a commander, as you cast a spell, you may choose both. The first ability is target opponent chooses a creature they control. You gain control of it. So you can steal someone's thing that they... Hopefully an opponent has like f very few creatures, so you get a good one. Um, but the second one is where it's fun. So it says, choose a creature you control. Each other creature you control becomes a copy of that creature until end of turn. So the like dream scenario for this is I have like five or six little like baby creatures out and late in the game they're like not probably not doing too much and so i can cast sakashima's will and make all of them copies of lord of the void or abhorrent overlord or something like that and then just swing out with like a whole bunch of copies of <laughs> a big demon yes this is a very unassuming card and especially in the late game like you said it just really can turn an army of weenies into an army of insert largest scariest creature on the board here you know like I exactly think the ceiling on this card is just it's so high you never know how far it's going to go so i think it's a i think it's a perfect home for this one especially you know in the late game i think that's awesome yeah this deck actually it doesn't have a lot of room for uh like other miscellaneous effects just because so many card slots are dedicated to either demons or like small evasive creatures mm -hmm. but I, I always fit that one in because i think the possibility of something really fun happening is too too good to pass up i guess kind of also in this category i don't normally play just like straight up tutors for the most part but mm -hmm. i do have a really really sweet copy of demonic tutor with the japanese alternate art full art no way i know did you, did you pull this nope i just bought it <laughs> oh my gosh this hey this is like the most flavorful card i think in, in this whole day it's just oh it is so glorious to behold as soon as i saw this card um previewed it's from the mystical archives from the strixhaven set as soon as i saw this i knew i had to have it because it's just so beautiful 
Um, and it has the coolest demon on it. And this is a demon's deck. So I had to get it. Um, I've actually cast this card to get a land probably half the time <laughs> I've cast it. So, you know, I'm definitely not using it like optimally. <laughs> but um, the flavor is That's my is favorite good. when you when you cast something like this. Like, He's going to get the biggest, scariest demon. You're like, yeah. Kapajuga bog. Oh, exactly. No. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, yeah, I usually I like to use it for silly purposes, but it's mainly in there just because I love this card so much. And this is a demon's deck, so it kind of fits right in. That is a prime example of a pet card. I love it. It does feel kind of weird saying Demonic Tutor is the pet card in this deck, but <laughs> I guess it is. Well, and and this is maybe like knowing you, like you said, you're, you've never really been one to big on like tutors and stuff. And knowing this deck, like like having talked about it, it's not like you're tutoring up a com like a combo finish to win on the spot, you know? Right. Like, say you're yeah. getting getting a land, or you're getting just a big demon. You need to, you know, get out like on the next turn or something. So I don't think it's like, you know, I think it fits just very comfortably here. And again, the flavor sure. is just incredible. Yes. Thank you very much for helping me justify its inclusion in the deck. <laughs> yes. Okay. One one question for. A card that I was just as I was looking, I want to know if it's a pet card, but I, I can yeah. see its place being good here. But I want to get your thoughts on Amphin Mutineer. Oh, okay. You know what? Yeah, that is that is a pet card of mine. So this is a three-three Salamander Pirate for three and a blue. When it enters the battlefield, you exile up to one target non-Salamander creature. That creature's controller creates a four-three blue Salamander Warrior creature token. Then it has Encore for six. Honestly, so I have an Axolotl. His name is Squishy. And um, Axolotls are a variety of Salamander. And I have a bunch of 4-3 blue Salamander Warrior creature tokens that are like drawings of Squishy. Oh, <laughs> <And> stop. <laughs> so I basically I play Amphin Mutineer as much as possible. Just as like a removal spell in the deck so that I can use my Squishy tokens. And I mean, it works. It exiles a creature, so it's you know, it's not bad. Plus, if you, if the scenario arose, you could ninjutsu him back, and then re- it's an ETB, so it's there's yeah. intent to get that trigger more than once. Obviously, with Encore, that might be easier. But you know, I think with the commander out, you know, you could if there's an opponent with no creatures, boom, ninjutsu him back, and then squishy totally. will strike again. <laughs> yes, yeah, it might so. be a little bit of a stretch, um, just because. Four mana for removal spell is like you know it's pretty high compared to like resculpt or yeah. something, um, but right. for me for me it's worth it. I'm glad you caught that. That is definitely a, a pet card that I don't think okay. other people would necessarily run. Yeah, I again I I think it's a perfect fit in here. It's funny. It's a little bit of a meme, you know, but it's also got some. Yeah. Plus you have the tokens. You have the tokens of squishy. You have. Exactly. Yeah. We can't just leave those at home when we bring this deck. You know. No, no, no. Yeah, they're coming with. <laughs> Okay, so moving on to the next question, why don't you tell us what you think the the MVP or the most synergistic card in this deck would be? It's a little bit of a hard one just because a lot of the cards in this deck are pretty interchangeable. You need like one evasive creature and it can pretty much be any of them and then like one big demon and you can also pretty much be any of them. Honestly, so I would say that Ornithopter is the MVP. Really? Yeah. And yeah, it's kind of funny, but the reason for that is it's the only zero drop creature that this deck can play like for this purpose. And it has flying, so it's hard to block. And you can bounce it back to your hand and then just like recast it that same turn for free, even if you're tapped out like doing ninjutsu. And then next turn it'll be able to attack again. So yeah, it's kind of like a one mana creature with haste, if that makes sense. Like you're just if you have an ornithopter, then the engine is going to be running real smoothly for the rest of the game. Yeah, I, I think that makes perfect sense, especially with like with an ornithopter like that. Even it, like when you attack, like it's it's just it's just so unassuming. It's just a little ornithopter. Right. Boom, psych. It's a uh, rune scar demon. I'm going to tutor something, you know, like <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's I kind of funny it's... too. the kind of the way this deck works is. I'm attacking you with my zero two, so I'm attacking you for zero, and and but then I'm like, are you do you, are you gonna block it? Like you have to declare blockers, and then I'm gonna like pause right yeah. there. Um, so <laughs> and they're like, no, I'm not blocking. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna pause, and now we're gonna ninjutsu. Yeah, it's 
I don't know. It's kind of a funny process that is pretty unique to yeah. um, decks like this. Plus, you have to love a deck where the MVP is Ornithopter. I, I'm just saying. Yeah. I mean, and I, I understood. I understand your hesitation. You said you, to that question where, like, I think I I would struggle where I, I think about some of my decks where it's the strategy is heavily reliant on the commander because you don't want to say the commander is the MVP, the numerous demons you want to cheat out. But I can see how this is just maybe stands up just a little bit above the rest because of its you know versatility. For sure. Yeah, the commander kind of enables all of it, but it definitely requires some key pieces to actually get anywhere with it. Okay, so this next question, I I know it's not the Liliana's contract with the four demons yet. I One day, that will be the answer to this question. But for now, what would you say has been your favorite in-game moment you've had while playing this deck? It's been a long time, so I can't remember exactly what occurred that like got this situation set up but basically during a game i was able to attack one of my opponents with uh with a small creature and it was like pretty early and then i ninjutsued out obnixilis unshackled this one is uh whenever an opponent searches their library that player sacrifices a creature and loses 10 life and it kind of like was pretty detrimental because a bunch of my opponents one in particular was uh really like looking to tutor for a win condition of some kind so the the cool thing that happened was the player who was trying to tutor had 11 life was trying to tutor for something and so was finally able to kill obnixilis and then like tutored and then in response one of the other players at instant speed was able to recur obnixilis back onto the battlefield so then that player ended up taking 10 damage down to one but was able to complete the tutor and then ended up barely being able to put together a victory that turn. Um, but I just thought it was so funny, the like the way Obnixilis kind of like warped the game. And so early on too, because I was able to cheat it out for four mana. That's just kind of stuck with me. It's not really something like super intense that this deck has done, but it just kind of like allowed for this scenario that I think was hilarious. Um, and kind yeah, of the way that... Awesome. Yeah, and then the way that like another player was able to use Obnixilis out of my graveyard was hilarious. Um, just like all around, it was a really funny moment. And uh, yeah, and that's kind of like the first one that came to mind when I was thinking about cool moments that happened while I was playing this deck. You gotta love the Power Rangers Unite moment where the table, you know, like does the the one-two punch against the the arch nemesis at the table, you know, where exactly. Yeah. You had it out and then it was removed, but someone's like, ha like I will bring it back. A surprise Alliance against the large foe at the table. I think that's awesome. That's a perfect example of, you know, again, like you said, this is a, a huge card that has a big impact on a game that generally isn't expected so early on. So I think that's a, yeah, that's awesome. Thank you. Yeah. It was, it was really fun. One of the, I think the most important questions to, to conclude with, um, for anyone out there who would want to build this deck, what advice would you give to those players looking to maybe do a Satoru Umezawa deck or um, a, maybe a Demons deck? What would, what advice would you, you give to them? Yeah, so I've kind of been dropping like little pieces of wisdom all throughout the episode, which I hope has helped somewhat. But yeah, so I think it's probably a pretty specific type of person that wants to build a Satoru deck that also is a demons deck. But I think the important thing to keep in mind is that the kind of like template for this deck works for so many different purposes. Um, Like all you really need is small evasive creatures and then big things to cheat out. So those things can be anything like you can do Eldrazi, anything in blue and black, at least you can do sea creatures. I think that one's pretty cool way to go. Yeah, or just some kind of like mix of all your favorite blue and black large creatures. And I think you can really like customize it and make it your own, which I would definitely encourage. Just make sure you have like a high number of those big creatures and also the small ones to attack with. And then just kind of like be responsible with your land and ramp. This is definitely a pretty mana hungry deck wanting to ninjutsu lots of mana each turn and then kind of like the backup plan for me is to just hard cast the demons. So I'm running 38 yeah. lands and then 10 ways to accelerate on mana. So it's pretty high, but I would encourage you to play also play a high number of lands and ramp. But honestly, besides that, yeah, hopefully this 
episode has helped with kind of like the general idea, but I think this is a really easy deck to customize. And I love my demons version. If you want to make a demons version too, I say do it. It's a ton of fun. Yeah, I, I think if anyone out there has a guess in blue or black colors that you know you want to use and abuse, I think Satoru is a great shell to skirt the, the expensive cost of those creatures and you know really pack a surprise and bring a lot of mystery to the table. I think it's a really fun way to not only build a deck, but to pilot one. I think it's a really good yeah. way to, like I said, it adds intrigue and tension to, you know, and that's it's true. One of, the, one of my favorite parts about playing with four people at a table. Yeah. So. Yeah, I totally agree. Oh, and one last thing before I forget. If you build a Satoru deck, don't forget to put in your Fairy Conclave as one of your lands. Yes. Um, because, and I hadn't really mentioned this yet, but Fairy Conclave, for one in a blue, turns into a 2-1 flying fairy creature. So you can bounce that back to your hand and replace it with a demon if you want to. The Fairy Conclave coming in unclutched. That'll be... When you sign your fairy conclave, it's when you bounce it back to put out a demon that wins you game. That'll be good. <laughs> I I actually have done that before. I don't know if I won the game yes. like exactly that at that moment, but yeah, I have used fairy conclave. It's probably the only time I've uh, used it beyond just being like, "Hey, look, it's my fairy conclave token," and then it dies immediately or something. But um, yeah, I like the the extra like little bit of actual utility that it has in this deck. Oh, that's awesome. On the backs of the fairies rode the demons into battle. <laughs> uh, that would be a great title for this episode. Thank you, Jerry. There, there you go. <laughs> well, Alec, I, I really hope you enjoyed going through one of your own personal decks. I You definitely put in so much work into the Fairy Conclave, and I, I think it's it's just appropriate that we give you time to show off one of your favorite decks, and you really put so much care and thought into your decks. It really is just such a a pleasure to get some insight and see what you've created. So thank you for sharing that with me. It was, it's been awesome. Oh, thank you so much. Um, yeah, I really appreciate that. I also appreciate you coming on to ask me questions about it. I would not have been able to do this all by myself. So yeah, thank you again, Jerem, for coming on and recording an episode. Absolutely. Anytime I am here to do anything I can to support the, the glorious fairy conclave. So thanks for having me back. I appreciate it. You're the best. Do you want to close things out? Just like just like the good old days? Oh, just like the good old days. Wow, I never thought you'd ask. Of course. Well, thank you. I would love to. So thank you, all of our wonderful listeners on the Fairy Conclave, all of you people who keep returning and all of the new people that have come to enjoy the wonderful magic content that Alec is now putting out. And so feel free to check out the show notes I'm sure Alec will include the his deck list for this, and we'll also include the Epic Storm as well for you to go support that channel. Feel free to go on to uh, to Twitter, follow Alec and the Fairy Conclave on Twitter and Instagram, and our Discord. Uh, we have a pretty active community where we're always talking about magic, playing games, and it's a really great community to join. As always, thank you everyone for joining us. Welcome to the Clave, all you new members, and we'll catch you all next time.